Welcome to this week's show. Today we have Wayne Mullins, founder of Ugly Mug Marketing. I am excited for this podcast, and I think it's going to be a lot of valuable information. Wayne Mullins. And uh, I hope you guys are excited as I am. Wayne, welcome to the show. Hey, John, thank you so much. I'm excited for this chat today. Me as well. So I, I like to start off every podcast with a uh, brief introduction and bio of uh, who you are how, and where you got to and how you got there. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, my, my background is uh, I was born and raised right here in Alexandria, Louisiana. Um, you know, I guess I haven't made it far in life. The, the hospital I was born in is literally probably three blocks down from the office that I'm sitting in right now. Um, but you know, if you think oftentimes well, when they, when they hear Louisiana, the first place that comes to mind that they think of new Orleans and they think of, you know, the sights and the sounds and right now it's Mardi Gras season. So they think of all these things about new Orleans. And once you have that picture in your mind, I say, okay, now think about the polar opposite of that. That is Alexandria, Louisiana. So it's not a big city. It's a small city. I think there's a population 48,000 people, give or take. Um, but my background, John started, you know, in sales. I, for whatever reason, got into Zig Ziglar, listing Zig Ziglar, and Zig sold me on the profession of selling. So I knew that I wanted to go in sales. I knew that um, that was the profession for me. And over the course of about a three-year period, I went from extremely terrible at selling to actually pretty decent at selling. And that wasn't by accident. It wasn't by just simply uh, showing up every day, although showing up is important. I got better as a result of just studying, constantly studying how to sell. Um, I studied, you know, Zig Ziglar's materials. I studied Tom Hopkins. I studied any book I could get my hand on on selling. I went to sell seminars, sales training. Um, and in the course of that, I actually began studying psychology and the way that people make decisions and the way that emotion influences decisions and things like that. So that kind of led me down this different path, which was marketing. And over this course of time or over these years, what I discovered was that, you know, when you do marketing well, and when you market well, it removes the need for sales. And that doesn't mean you don't have salespeople. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to do this thing called selling. But when your marketing system is perfected and works really well, by the time it gets uh, to the point of them ready to make that purchase decision, selling isn't really necessary. In other words, it, it turns almost into order taking, if you will, filling out the paperwork, um, answering some questions about delivery and, and those types of things. But that is a, that's a quick, super quick overview of how I ended up where I am today. I uh, absolutely love it. You said something there that uh, resonated with me for sure. Like one thing was, you know, like, like it goes to the sales thing that you were just saying. And this is what I've always believed. When people say I have a sales problem, I don't think you have a sales problem. I think you have a brand problem. People are not convinced because they don't know you. At least in 2022, branding is extremely important. Maybe in the past, it didn't matter because people were focused on different things. But today, people buy based on the emotion of uh, being comfortable and knowing what they're, who they're buying from and trust. 
That is like trust has always been there, but it's more of the forefront. People are more skeptical. And based on that, they want to buy from names they know. How else can you go to how else that you know do brands like Nike as an example can sell a shoe for 150 bucks? And the same kind of shoe from a, uh, I don't know, Wallapalooza will go for like $40. Why can't that other shoe get $150? Because people know what they're getting from that Nike. They understand the brand. And when they understand the brand, it's less of a sales pitch. It's more of a style pitch than a sales pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And one distinction there, John, that I think is important, um, we often think of the brand or our brand as the way we interpret, you know, either who we are or our business or our organization. But the truth is the brand is actually how other people perceive you. It's not what, how we perceive ourselves. It's not what we think about our company. It's what the public. And, and so your example of the shoes, um, it's what the people, the consumers think about, you know, Nike versus whatever other brand there is in their minds. Um, Nike holds a different place, a higher place. Um, and again, it, it's intentional. In other words, Nike has worked very hard at owning that particular brand in the minds of the consumers. Um, but we have to be careful sometimes that, that we think that our brand is X, but in reality, the consumers see it as Y, right? So we can deceive yeah. ourselves if we're not careful. I agree with you 100% with that. Now, I got, I got a silly question, not really related to anything, but I'm curious. Ugly Mug Marketing. How did you come up with that name? Sure. So uh, despite popular belief, it's not named after me, um, although I do have an ugly mug. <laughs> uh, it is from, there's a gentleman by the name of David Ogilvy. And so David Ogilvy came over to the U.S. Yeah, he came over to the U.S. I believe it was in the late 50s. Um, he, rumor has it, he, he comes over here with like 40 bucks in his pocket. But his background was advertising and marketing. And Within the course of about a 15-year window, he built the world's largest ad agency, Ogilvy & Mather. And David had this saying that was, I would rather an ad that's ugly but effective than one that's beautiful but isn't. And so the name Ugly Mug Marketing is really just a play off of that phrase or that quote from David Ogilvy. Um, it's, it's our North Star, if you will. In other words, in the world that we live in, so kind of branding, marketing, advertising, those things, um, it's very easy for us to become um, sidetracked or enamored with trying to win design awards or trying to um, make things beautiful for the sake of making things beautiful and for the sake of people saying, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, look, look how cool that thing is. Uh, but at the end of the day, our clients don't come to us because they want something beautiful. They come to us because you know, they want results, whether that's more money in the bank account, whether that's more followers, whether that's more, you know, people donating to their, their nonprofit, whatever it may be, that is why they come to us. And so the name really is just a constant reminder that we should stay focused on what matters most. For sure. I love that. Now here's the other thing, right? Like you said something there about the awards and I, I mean, one, one of my businesses is uh, real estate um, as a real estate agent. And, you know, when you mentioned the awards, I thought of this and I, you know, I've done a post about this, but, you know, you mentioned the whole awards thing, right? And if you follow realtors, a lot of them, you know, focus on the awards and that seems to be the key focus now. Like, and it's one of those things that I find it comical because, you know, 
when you meet somebody, you wouldn't go around and saying, hi, I'm uh, the number one realtor in, uh, you know, Toronto. And uh, I, I won the president's gold award. And I'm, uh, you know, building a team that we're all winners and we're all uh, selling over asking, you know, nice to meet you. Nobody ever does that. But yet their advertising does that. So I find that comical, right? So it's just when you brought up the whole design, the, the word thing, I just thought of that right away. Uh, but I love how you got into it, like where, where you know, you, you pointed out it's the customer's perception, it's the customer's view that matters. And that's where I was going with that whole comment, right? It's many people focus their marketing habits on themselves and what's important to them and often forget really what matters is the customer. And it's what the customer thinks, not you. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so two thoughts come to mind on that, John, and they're actually both from Zig Ziglar. The first one is um, Zig used to talk about the, the radio station um, WIIFM, what's in it for me. And that's the perspective that everyone has, right? We think that they care about us or they care the way we do these things or our awards and, and reality. They don't care about those things. They care about what's in it for them. How can we serve them? And then the other part that you know, as you're speaking about that, that comes to mind is, you know, Zig Ziglar had that, that phrase or that quote he would often repeat, which was, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. And I think that's such a powerful reminder for us because, um, you know, we all have ego. We all are self-centered in some way, shape or form. And in the business world or the business context, it's so easy to lose sight on the fact that it's our job to serve our customers and our clients. It's not the other way around. It's our job to put their needs above our needs, right? And so I, I just think what you're saying is so spot on and it's so important. Um, if nothing else, just for the constant reminder. Yeah, absolutely. Now, oh, I noticed you're into personal development a lot and I share that, uh, you know, that part of me, that's a part of me as well. I, I'm totally into it. Like I got into personal development originally, you know, I would say my late teens when I came across uh, two people. Well, first I used to follow Success Magazine and at the time publisher was Darren Hardy. So I used to follow his journey and, uh, you know, I really started becoming aware of the whole personal development through him, which is then when I came across content and stuff from Jim Rohn. So they've been big influences on my uh, life, I would say. And yeah. So how did you uh, come across personal development? Like how did that, how did you come across it and how did it stick with you? Yeah. Great question. And both of those people uh, I follow and uh, Jim Rohn is, is one of my favorites for sure. Darren Hardy as well. I love his book. Um, the compound effect, I believe is his. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, but, exactly. Yeah. His books are great. Jim Rohn has a, a couple of books out as well. They're harder to find, but both of them are, are the ones I have. He may have more, but uh, phenomenal as well. I, I got started in personal development, uh, again, as a result of Zig Ziglar. My junior year of college, for I don't know the reason, for whatever reason, my parents gave me some CDs. Yes, I'm of CD age um, from Zig Ziglar. And those CDs just happen to be on selling. But, you know, in the course of listening to those CDs, Zig talked a lot about, about what he used to call automobile university and how you should never be in your vehicle going anywhere without filling your head, without um, actively learning and actively growing. And so that started me down that entire path of, um, you know, I guess if I were going to summarize it in a phrase, it would just, you know, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I think that may be a Jim Rohn 
quote or some shade of Jim right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, there's two that he, that stick out to me, and that was one of them. The other one is, don't wish it was easier. Wish you were better. Mm. Yeah, that's so. so good. But yeah, like that that makes total sense. Now, again, you know what? A lot of things, we experience a lot of things and a lot of different adventures in life. But again, I, I'm certain or pretty sure you came from the same era that I did, which is what I mean by that is that the whole go to school to get a good education, to get a good job. You don't want to be a plumber or you don't want to be whatever, you know, like, and obviously you chose your own path. So what I'm being said, like, did the whole go get a good job kind of thing ever appeal to you? Or, or did you know right away that it wasn't just about the job you're going beyond just getting a nine to five? You know, I mean, I grew up in, I guess you could call it a traditional American family. Um, so education was always talked about as an important thing. Um, you know, there really wasn't an option per se, you know, it was like what was expected is you, you go to high school and then you're going to go to college and you're going to get a degree in something and you're going to get probably a good corporate job was probably the mentality at the time. Um, but from an, you know, fairly early age, I, I had this entrepreneurial tendency, you know, I remember back when baseball cards were a very popular thing, I would get baseball cards for Christmas or for my birthday. And then I would, I would take those cards and I would actually pay my friends to help me cut lawns or to, you know, go pick up tin cans on the side of the road to sell and make money. Um, so from a very early age, I knew that, that I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something on my own. Um, I did end up going to college. I ended up getting a degree in marketing. Um, you know, people often ask me, but like, you know, did, did that degree or does that degree serve you well in what you do today? And the answer is both yes and no. Um, and here's why, John, because what that degree taught me was it taught me a lot of self-discipline because honestly, I didn't really want to be there. I wanted to be out doing my own thing. Um, and the other side of that, you know, the, the other part that answers, you know, I've learned far more about marketing from, you know, the books on the shelf behind me, from attending seminars, listening, watching videos, all these things, um, and then applying those in real world situations. So I, I did follow, I guess, in some aspects of the traditional path initially, um, but I would say that the bulk of my education that has served me so well has come from, you know, personal development or self-development if whichever one that you want to call it. Yeah, for sure. Now, let me ask you something. Now, every path has a struggle and there's always one that defines the moment of where we are. What was the biggest hurdle you came across and how did you get around it? Mm, great question. Um, you know, John, the, the answer for me is this, uh, the biggest struggle, the biggest challenge the biggest obstacle to my success is the person that looks back at me in the mirror every morning. It is myself. And so when I look back over the span of, of this quote unquote entrepreneurial journey, if you will, um, every time there was a major downturn or a major obstacle to overcome in some way, shape or form, I, the person that looks back at me in the morning in the mirror was a big part of obstacle or that thing that needed to be overcome. Um, you know, I could share stories about how, you know, during the course of growing our business, we actually um, 
somehow got wrapped into this, this thing that we had nothing to do with, but we were actually part of an FBI uh, investigation. Um, again, we had nothing to do with it. Nothing ever came of it in terms of our, our end. We just happened to be in the vicinity. We were, we shared an office space with someone and um, they, nothing happened to them either, but it was this big ordeal. And again, that led us through all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of challenges, um, reputation challenges in the community, right? When a small town word spreads very quickly that we're part of this investigation. Um, and although there's so much of that, I had zero control over. The one thing that I did have control over that I wish I had handled differently was what took place in my head. You know, the six inches between your ears, as they say, um, because my mentality at the time, my self-awareness at the time led me to, you know, just a really dark place, a really depressed place um, because I, I didn't have agency over myself, right? I had advocated, I'd given up that and said, this is beyond my control. When in reality, we always have some control. It's, it's Viktor Frankl, you know, in his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, um, where he talks about between the stimulus and the response, there's always a gap. And it's in that gap that there's power. And so as maybe cliche as my answer sounds, the biggest obstacle or the biggest thing that has hindered my growth in, in this journey has always been at some level myself. Wow. Okay. That, that makes sense. I, I think we are always you know, our, uh, <laughs> our biggest, uh, you know, obstacle, but, uh, wow, that, that story kind of, uh, it was kind of shocking and kind of, I can sort of relate to that. Not quite in the same way, but similar. Now, when I was younger, I had something happen to me as well. That, uh, wasn't good. Um, but I had nothing to do with me. Just like you said, what ended up happening is I remember one night I, uh, met this girl and uh, we, had, we were hanging out and she wanted to uh, uh, just borrow my phone, I guess. She didn't have her own at the time or whatever. So what ended up happening is I let her use my phone and she called somebody or whatever. And I'm like, I thought nothing of it. Then what ended up happening is that we were hanging out and she saw the news. She's like, oh, my God. I'm like, what? So-and-so got murdered. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I don't know who that is, but sorry to, you know, hear that. Right? Like, like. And I'm trying to figure this out, whatever. I thought nothing of it. About three weeks later, I get a phone call, private number. I pick it up. It's uh, police, like the investigators. And they're trying to figure out why I called that person. It happened to be the person that got murdered that same night. Wow. And I'm thinking, I don't know who that person is. Right? Like, so why would I call somebody I don't know? Then, then when they turned around and they're explaining it, and it goes, oh, well, this is the, where the person was, the area they describe it. And I'm sitting there going, well, that's the area I picked up the girl. Right. And, and then I clicked in. And I was like, she made the phone call. Holy crap. I'm telling you, that was uh, quite a scary experience. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but again, <laughs> awareness is what I learned from that. Realize what's going on. Don't just blindly hand over things. And you know what I mean, so now I, now I'm more aware of what's going on and that was just dumb luck. And I, you know, that, that, 
it, it was wow. You know what I mean? Now again, not, not none of us had anything to do with it, but sometimes yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that could have been bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, John, in in this entrepreneurial roller coaster, as Darren Hardy would call it, um, there are always ups and downs, right? I think that oftentimes the media, um, and I don't mean this is like the, the traditional media that's reporting on political things, although that's part of it. I, I'm talking about like the business media. I think often they do us a disservice because what happens is they portray these entrepreneurs on the cover of their magazines um, or, you know, in the headlines that they're running on videos online or whatever it may be. And they portrayed them as these entrepreneur poster children, right? Like everything they touch turns to gold. Um, they, their company went from, you know, startup to now they're worth billions of dollars three years later. And they paint this, this fairy tale journey of these entrepreneurs. And if we're not careful, we look at that and we say, wow, you know, they have it all together. They've got this thing figured out. Um, I'm not as good as them or I'm not as valuable as them or I'm not, you know, worthy or whatever those things, the thoughts that run through our heads. And, you know, what we don't see though, we don't see the dips in the journey, right? The reporters don't necessarily point out those dips um, or when they do, they're, they're often just glossed over, you know, the, you know, they slept under their desk for uh, a year, right? And they just kind of gloss over that instead of highlighting the true struggle that those people went through because, because the journey is never this straight linear upward path. We, we all know that, but intuitively for some reason we believe that is the path for other people and that for whatever reason, we are unable to achieve that same path, right? Our path is much more of what Darren Hardy would call the entrepreneur roller coaster. And, and so I just think that it's so important for us um, number one, to make sure that we don't fall fall prey to this idea of this entrepreneur poster child, right? It's this perfect path poster child because I don't have to tell you, John, but, but the entrepreneurial path is already challenging enough. We don't need to beat ourselves up. We don't need to judge ourselves and hold ourselves to an unrealistic standard um, of what entrepreneurship should be. I agree with you. Now, it's this word entrepreneur almost has been glorified in the last, we'll say, five to 10 years to the point now everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, right? And I don't think they necessarily know what they're getting into. So it's like it's become the cool buzzword. Now, reality is, I believe, can it be learned to a point? To a point, you can learn to get into it. But I think most people are born into it. And what I mean by born, I don't mean like they become a baby, they just came to the earth and they're an entrepreneur. I, I mean is the fact that it's just the way they were built, you know, in their formative years to learn, to be, you know, to discover things, more to be that curiosity, that challenge. Like it's somebody you kind of grew up with those traits and you kind of just built them over, you know, from a baby up and you're in that, in that formative years, you built that. That's, that's sort of like your being in a sense. And I think those are usually the true entrepreneurs. And I think there's a difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. I mean, there's lots of business owners out there, but there's a very, very segmented group of people that you can say are entrepreneurs. Like they, they breathe for this. It's like they, they don't do it 
because it's cool. In fact, because it's probably a harder path than just to get a job that pays you every week. Right? Because there's going to be times you're dipping in a line of credits to fund things. Because you know what? Let's face it. You do a job. There's companies out there that don't pay for 90 days. Right? You got to fund the staffing for that somehow. So it's challenging. Like you said, it's ups and downs and it's not meant for everybody. But it's been glorified lately. And, And a lot of times I don't think people realize that. So it's awesome though. Like, I mean, again, it's an adventure and it's about the process. Too many people today want the end result without doing the work. And then the reality is that it's a long, long journey and it's a never ending journey of learning. And the whole point is the process. If you're not enjoying the process, then you're not really in the right spot. But that's my view. I completely agree with you, John. I think, um, you know, as entrepreneurs, we tend to be visionary. We tend to be able to see the end that we're after, right? We can see into the future, if you will. And we see this end result that we're after. And if we're not careful, we look at where we are today, where we want to be in the future. And we become very frustrated or very depressed or very anxious because we're here, the future we want way over here. Um, And this gap that we're in becomes a very frustrating or debilitating thing for us. And I completely agree with you. We must learn as entrepreneurs to embrace the gap. We must learn to enjoy that moment in the gap because the truth is we're always going to be in some form of a gap in our lives. Um, if we're, if we're aiming for bigger things, if we're pursuing bigger things, right, bigger goals, bigger visions, um, And as entrepreneurs, I I believe that's one of the things that separates an entrepreneur from a business owner is an entrepreneur is always looking at a different picture of the future, Um, whereas a business owner is okay with the future as long as there's incremental growth along that path, where as an entrepreneur wants something completely different in the future. But if we're not careful, that gap, right, looking at that gap can become very depressing and discouraging. And for me, you know, it was probably five or six years ago where I realized that I was in this, this constant cycle of looking where I was at today, looking at where I wanted to be, and then feeling lost or anxious or depressed because I was so far from where I wanted to be, you know, whether that's personally, whether that's business or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, but at that moment, I, I, it kind of just, dawned on me, it hit me that you I'm never going to arrive at this ideal place, this ideal vision of the future. And that if I'm going to actually stay on this entrepreneurial path, right, I've got to learn to love the gap. I've got to learn to embrace the struggle, if you will, um, and make that part of the journey. It's, it's exactly like you said, you know, um, oftentimes we're so focused on that destination um, that we miss so much of the beauty that is found in the struggles and the beauty that is found in that gap that we find ourselves in. For sure. Now we all go like we all go through uh, a point in our venture where we have that aha moment, and you feel like, okay, I'm in the right direction, or I'm going the right direction, or I'm here. I go, this is what I've been working at. I mean, I know it's the start but I'm feeling good and I'm feeling confident and I, and I'm happy because my vision is going the right way. I kind of starting to feel 
not necessarily successful, but you're starting to feel like you're in the right place. Have you had that moment yet or, and when did you discover it? Yeah. I, I mean, it definitely, it definitely came after that last bit about where I, I decided that I'd have to learn to embrace the gap or learn to love the struggle, if you will. Um, and it wasn't an instant thing, right? Because we, as humans, we are, we condition, you know, we're conditioned or we condition ourselves to think, to feel, to act in certain ways. And so for so many years, I had conditioned myself to always be looking at this future place. Um, and, I had, had come to expect the frustration and right the anxiety and the the things that the, I'm so far from where I want to be. Um, so a big part of it for me was learning to reprogram my thinking around this idea that I must learn to embrace this gap. Um, and so once I think that mindset began to take place, and again, you're talking about having to reprogram, if you will, recondition years and years of the same thinking into something new or something different. Um, It was then that I, what I realized is that yes, there's still struggles. Yes. There's obstacles. Yes. There's all these things taking place, but it's in those things that if we look, um, if we're observant, there's so much beauty in those things. And so for me, it's this constant, um, I guess, awareness that each day, no matter, no matter if it's up or if it's down each day truly is a gift. There are lessons to be learned. There are obstacles to be overcome. Um, and as you said, you know, as you quoted, um, the general quote earlier, it's that idea of don't wish it were easier, wish you were better. Once you get to that point, I'm not claiming I've I've arrived at that. I'm still human. I still struggle with the same thoughts and the bombarding of all these other things. But once you embrace that idea, um, the struggle becomes a beautiful thing, right? The obstacles become a beautiful thing. Right. I get that. I get that. You're right about that. Now, you know, what I was going to say is what has been your uh, proudest moment so far? Like, for example, sometimes we get into things and we have goals. We all have goals. We all have objectives. And I don't know what I mean. Like sometimes you are trying to get stuff and, and you're trying to get to a certain spot. And then sometimes you get a, uh, an account, let's just say like Nike. And that was like your dream, your goal. And it's like, or something even unexpected. And it's like a jump for joy. And, has that happened to you where you had a certain target or I wouldn't say target, like an X on the back. I mean, target, like an objective. You've, you found that objective. You got like a key person that you thought was going to spiral your business. And what happened from there? Yeah. I, I wish John that I had like this one magical thing that's taken place um, that I could, that I could pinpoint. So when you, when you say that, or you ask that question, the the two things that come to mind are this number one, um, it would be the team, our team. So the team that we have in place, um, you know, I would be, I would put our team up against, you know, just about any other team in in the world. They're just phenomenal, um, and it's it's for me, it's not just about like, um, you know, we're again we're in a small community, small town. It's about putting together a team of unlikely heroes, if you will. 
um, who all have different strengths, all have different weak weaknesses, um, but somehow orchestrating all of this together to build the team that we have. So that would be kind of one big, you know, thing that that I'm tremendously proud of. It's it's the team that we have in place. Um, the other would be, you know, we have had the privilege over the years of working with some truly remarkable people. Um, you know, New York Times bestselling authors. Um, you know, one of the most popular singers of all time. Um, his estate. We've done work for for the estate of this person. And the thing that's most impressive or the thing that I'm most proud of is that all of those people, these quote unquote high profile people have come to us at the recommendation or the referral of another person. And so to me, that is the ultimate compliment that someone is so pleased or so impressed or so whatever the word is with us and our service that they're willing to tell other people. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a famous person, right, that that has been referred to us or just the business down the street. The fact that we have earned the respect, we have earned the trust of our clientele so well that they're willing to vouch for us. They're willing to um, put their name on the line for us. That's that's an extremely proud thing for me, at least. Yeah, I'll be honest, not exactly where I thought you were going with it. I like your answer a lot better than where I thought you were going with. <laughs> um, usually what I was trying to highlight was that many times people out there expect, you know, if I get so-and-so or I get uh, whatever business and uh, they endorse me, then I'm going to just blow up like a silver bullet. And where I thought you were going to go with it is tell me that there was no silver bullet, you know, because like, even if you get those top names, it's great, but it's not going to be a silver bullet just because, you know, someone famous buys from you. It doesn't mean the rest of the world is going to do it too. Cause it's really about the service and it's about, you know, it's providing quality service to everybody. So you kind of went there, but kind of dodged one part that I thought you were going to go into, which is awesome because your answer was better because it is about the team. 100%. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I do agree with you though. Um, yeah, it's not, there's, there's no, at least from my experience, there's never been a magic bullet. Um, you know, every single client, whether it's the coffee shop across the street, whether it's a New York times bestselling author, whether it's the fortune 100 company, um, every single one of those, that relationship must be earned, must be cultivated and it must be kept earned, cultivated and kept. And, you know, you, for me, at least, I, I haven't reached that point where I'm like, we've arrived. We, you know, we're working with X, Y, or Z, we've arrived. Um, I think that, again, this is just me, you know, riffing off of that question a little bit there. But I think for me that um, if I find myself believing that, that I need to be careful and I need to be cautious um, because I don't want to ever come from the point of, pride or ego. Um, I, I want to have the mentality, not just for myself, but for everyone on our team, um, that we can't take anything for granted, right? We can't take the client who's been here with us for 10 years for granted. And we can't take the easy project for granted. We can't take the hard project for granted. Um, again, they must be earned, cultivated and kept. Yes, for sure. Now going to uh, social media, like it's gonna, I'm gonna talk to expand on this a little bit with uh, like social media. A lot of times people, you know, 
they get into something and they thought, okay, I'm going to grow my business organically. I'm going to go onto Facebook. I'm going to go to Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Everything's going to be organic and I'm going to blow up and whatever. Now, my point is that a lot of times people get tied into likes and shares and they, they're more fascinated with likes and shares than anything else, right? Like, I mean, and likes and shares is never going to pay your mortgage. It's never going to give you the business you want. And we have that need for instant gratification. And that's what this kind of develops. People, I find a lot of people are getting anxiety because they're doing this. And, oh my God, I only got 30 shares. Or sometimes people are 30 likes. Some people even get, you know, 10,000 people liked it, but nobody called me. And obviously where I'm going with this is that is not really the success route with social media. So my point is I'm getting at is, what would you tell a person who wants to use social media to build their business? Like what's the fundam fundamental part of it? Where should they start? Sure. Yeah. Great question, John. Um, this is where I would start that conversation. I would say, okay, John, you are now a part of our team. Um, you and I, we have to figure out how to build the world's best car. That's what we have to do. And so what we would do is we'd sit down and say, okay, um, which car in the world has the best frame, right? The best structural frame, the safest, strongest frame. And so we'd say, okay, Volvo has the best frame. So we're going to take the frame from the Volvo. Then we say, which car has the best body on it? In other words, uh, the body of the car is solid and strong. It's going to get the five-star crash rating, all of those things. Um, and maybe we look and we say, okay, it's the Bentley. So we take the Bentley body of the car and we put it on the Volvo frame. Then we say, okay, now we need an engine, right? We need this engine to make this thing go. Who has a great, powerful, strong engine that's going to that's gonna, um, accelerate quickly and it's going to keep us safe and all these things? And maybe we grab a Lamborghini engine. And then we say, okay, now we need a transmission. Who has the best transition, the, the smoothest? And maybe it's BMW. So now we've got this the world's best frame from Volvo. We've got the body from Bentley. Um, and then we've got the engine from Lamborghini. We got the transmission from BMW. And we put all this stuff together and we think, okay, we took the best of everything. We, we bolted it all together. Now we're going to have the world's best car. And what we end up with is not the world's best car. We end up with this Frankenstein thing that probably doesn't work because the pieces and the components were not designed to go together. And you see, John, this is what so many entrepreneurs, so many business owners do when it comes to marketing, but specifically social media marketing. They look around and they say, this guru over here is pitching or saying that I really need to be doing this thing on social. So I'm going to do a little bit of that. And this guru over here is telling me I need to be doing this thing. So I'm going to do a little bit of that. And so they end up throwing all these things into a bag or into this, this pot, if you will. And they stir it all together and then it tastes terrible. It doesn't work. They're, they're frustrated. They're running a million different directions, trying to do what the gurus are telling them to do. And they end up with nothing, right? They end up with less time, less money, way more frustration. And so the answer to the question is, until you are crystal clear on where you are attempting to go. Um, I call this the framework. So if you think about a train or a train track, uh, the framework or the rails, the rails determine where you are actually trying to go. And I can tell you how not to determine where you're trying to go. You can't go online 
and look at what all these various gurus are telling you to do. And the reason is because they're all telling you a little bit different based on what works best for them. That doesn't mean it's going to work best for you. Um, so if you're going around scouting, trying to figure out, I'm going to take bits and pieces from all these various gurus, you're setting yourself up for disaster. You're building these tracks that go a million different directions and you end up nowhere. So number one, you have to be clear of where you're trying to get to on your tracks of social media. Um, the next piece of that, if you think about the actual train that goes on there, um, you have lots of options. So depending on where you're trying to go and the type of business you have and the type of clients you're trying to serve, I mean, you could have a passenger train. You could have a locomotive that pulls cargo. You could have a steam train. You could have a snowplow train. Like there's a lot of options. And if we're not careful, we'll just, again, grab the train that somebody else has and, and put it on our tracks and, and then complain that it doesn't work. And then the final piece would be the way you actually operate a train. Like, how do you maintain it? How do you actually operate it? How do you drive it? How do you um, do the maintenance on it? And so those three components, so the track, the actual train, and then the way that it's maintained, that's the difference between a framework, a strategy, and a tactic, a framework, a strategy, and a tactic. And what I can tell you, you know, literally after working with thousands and thousands of businesses in terms of training them on social media, um, most of them are jumping from tactic to tactic to tactic. And yet we're complaining that it's not working. And so step number one, be crystal clear about where you're trying to get to. In other words, what is the purpose of your social media marketing? How does it fit into your overarching overarching marketing strategy? Because it should. It shouldn't be this anomaly thing over here um, that you're just going to do. It's got to fit into this strategy. So that's the, the, <laughs> the big broad. I didn't get into the specifics yet, but does the big broad picture at least make sense at this point? Absolutely. I totally get what you're saying there. That makes makes total sense. So, and what a great answer, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, like, go ahead. Give you some tactics. Like, how do we actually make this thing happen? Let's do it. All right. So I'll make this quick, but envision a old circular analog clock, right? A circle clock hanging up on the wall. So at the very top of the clock, you've got 12 o'clock, you've got three o'clock over on the side, down at the bottom, you've got six o'clock and then you've got nine o'clock. So at the 12 o'clock spot, we have all the people in the world that we would call strangers. So strangers are anyone who doesn't know about your business, your product, your service, but you believe could benefit from it. So it's not everybody in the world, but it's everyone who doesn't know about you that you believe could benefit from your product or service. Those are the strangers. Then down at three o'clock, we have everyone out there who we would call friends. So these are people who now know about your product or service, um, but they haven't actually exchanged money, right? They haven't pulled out their wallet and handed you money. Now, down at the three, I'm sorry, the six o'clock spot is where we have customers. And at this point is where the wallet comes out. So that's, that's 12 o'clock, three o'clock, six o'clock. Now, let me explain to you how we move people through this and how social media um, plays into this. So when we identify our group of strangers, um, step one, we need to know our customer avatar. In other words, we need to clearly understand the unexpressed needs, the desires, the wants, the frustrations, the challenges of our target audience. 
So once we clearly identify who those strangers are, in order to move people from that 12 o'clock spot to the three o'clock spot, there's a couple of elements required. Number one, they have to know about you, right? They have to know about your business, your product, your service. And number two, they actually have to like your product, service, or business. Without those two ingredients, they're never going to become friends of you or your business. Now, an example of that would be when I say like, for example, if you sell um, grass-fed beef, it probably won't do you any good to pitch your product to uh, vegetarians or to vegans, right? That's going to be a waste of your time, energy, and effort. They're never going to like your business, your organization that sells grass-fed beef, right? They, they personally just don't agree with it. And yet, oftentimes, marketers, business owners, we spend so much time, energy, and effort putting our messages in front of people who have no chance of ever liking what we offer, what we provide. So when we think of moving people from strangers to friends, from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, we must think through all of our marketing messages and we must think through what can I get these people to hear, to see, um, to experience, to get them to know about us and to like us, to begin resonating with what we're saying. Now, that would be ad number one. So if I'm thinking of social media, I need some posts on social media that are specifically designed to get strangers to become friends. So the messaging all needs to center around getting them to know us and building some like in there, right? Some likability. They have to like us. Now, the next step is this. We got to move them from friends into customers. If we don't move them from friends to customers, we've wasted our time, energy, and effort. The biggest component to move people from a friend, so they know about us, they like us, into them pulling out their wallet, handing us money, is this magical word called trust. I like to say where trust goes, money flows. So when you think about your social media, you've now moved this audience from strangers to friends. Your job now is to build trust with that audience. So on social media, you need to be thinking through, how do I build trust with this audience? How do I demonstrate that our product will not only just meet their expectations, but it will exceed their expectations? It will be of more value to them than the money they give us for this thing. So those are the two initial campaigns that you need on social media. You've got to move people from strangers to friends by getting them to know about you and to like you. And then from friends to customers, primarily through building trust with them. Is that initially sort of makes sense it so does i mean that's exactly what i what i thought i i mean <laughs> I, I mean great this is great man i mean like that information is incredibly valuable well thank you well there's one more step if you if we got time i'll, I'll jump into that last little step absolutely so if we think back to our clock um We've got everything on the right side. So if you're looking at the clock, everything on the right side, we're moving people from strangers to friends and friends into customers. That is what I would call the attraction side of marketing. We've attracted a customer. Now, on the left side of that clock, from six o'clock to nine o'clock, there's a step there. And this is a step that we as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as marketers, we almost always neglect this step. And that step is we move people from customers into evangelists for our brand, for our company, for our product, for our service, whatever, whatever it is that we provide, we have to move them from customer to an evangelist. And 
I can just, uh, I'm guilty of this and I see it all the time that we as marketers, as entrepreneurs, we are so good and so focused on moving people from strangers to first to customers. But then once they pull out their wallet and they hand us money, we're done. We've moved on. We're looking for the next stranger that we can bring through that process again, right? Marketers are, and salespeople are notorious for this. And I, I put myself in those categories. I'm both of those things. So um, we're very short-sighted, right? We believe that it's our job to get people to that point of sale and get them to hand us the money. And then we're on to the next person. But we live in this world, John, where almost every single human being, especially here in North America, almost every single human being has this little device in their purse or pocket called a smartphone. <laughs> and with this smartphone, they have the ability in an instant to broadcast to the world, right? To all of their friends, all of their followers, what they believe about us. And yet we as marketers are so slow to embrace this idea, so slow to embrace the fact that we need to give some time, some intention, some effort into making sure that we are exceeding expectations, right? Even if it doesn't fall directly within us, it's in our best interest to make sure that our clients' expectations are being exceeded. We are wowing them. Um, you know, that transition from a customer into an evangelist, it's really about a story change, right? So your products, your services that you provide, um, they come to you because they want to change their story, right? Their story is, you know, I'll use our example just because I can speak to it, you know, with certainty. Um, people come to us because their marketing is chaotic, confusing, expensive, and they're frustrated, right? They want a different story. They want their story to be that my marketing systems are automated. They're not confusing. They're not complicated. And there's a very predictable ROI, so as a marketer, it's my job to ensure that we are taking our customers through that transition once they become a customer or a client of ours. If we are certain, if we are overseeing and making sure that their story is changing and that we're exceeding expectations, we've taken a huge step in terms of converting them into evangelists for our brands, for our products and services. And here's, here's the last little bit of this, John. If we do that well, all of those people who are now evangelists over at the nine o'clock spot, they go tell all of their friends who are over at the three o'clock spot about our product, about our service, about our brand. They are imparting their trust, their belief, their satisfaction in our products and services into those other people, into their friends, their family, and their customers, You know, whoever it may be that they have a sphere of influence over. And it bypasses all of that top stranger portion which is where so often we spend so much of our time, energy, and effort stressed out, frustrated because we're trying to find the right audience, the right ad, the right combination, all these things to get those people to move through the funnel. When instead, if we just turn back and we looked at those people who we've already exchanged money with, right? And we work to ensure that we're exceeding those expectations, we could hypothetically have an army of evangelists ready to go share our message with the world. You know what? I'm totally blown away with that. That is amazing. Like, wow. That is like not just an answer, but it was a detailed answer. And it reinforces a lot of the things I've always believed and said, right? Like this is 
totally next level. Love this. Love it. Absolutely love it. Right. So, and that's the thing too many times do we spend so all of our efforts and time working so hard to try to get new people that the ones that already know, like, and trust us are completely on the back burner. Sometimes the best new business is the people who've already done business with you, whether it's through them or through people they know, right? It's just powerful, absolutely powerful. Yeah. Now, I got a couple I, more questions for you. And sure. uh, we'll just one little, one little thing out there real quick, John, I've asked. So over the years, as, as I've spoken at various events and, and places, I've often asked the question, where do your best customers come from? And the overwhelming response every single time is my best customers, my best clients come from word of mouth or referral, right? Which are one and the same thing. And yet we give so little time and attention to ensuring that we have systems and processes in place to attract those things, to turn those people into evangelists. So 100%. Awesome. So now with everything we talked about, I'm sure you have systems in place and schedules in place and what i mean is that like 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 i said i'm sure you don't wake up monday morning and just say hey it's monday what do i do now right i mean like how do you plan out your week your day and how is that that scheduled and how's your systems formed sure um so i'm gonna give a, a super high level answer to that um so number one i start with yearly so what's the year objective or the strategic plan for the year. So I'm, I'm thinking business-wise here, company-wise. Um, but it, the same thing applies personally. Like what's the strategic objective? What are we trying to achieve, whether that's business or personal this year? Then I break that down into quarters. So based on that, what has to happen each quarter? And then based on that, I just simply say, okay, what has to happen each month? And then from the month, I just take it into a week schedule. So I would say that the simplest calendar planning system, the simplest uh, approach to time management is really comes from or stems from Stephen Covey's one quote, which is begin with the end in mind. If you begin with the end in mind, where are you trying to go and work backwards from that? Um, it's pretty straightforward, right? We're, we're all, we all know often what we should be doing next, but our indecision causes us to work and walk in circles and in loops because we're so indecisive and unclear about what we should be doing, right? And I think the big part of that is we've never gotten clear about where we're trying to end up. Now, for me, I'm, again, I'm very much a visionary, big picture kind of person, not detailed. Um, but for me, what, what I've discovered is that um, if I try to do anything more than a year out, in other words, I tried to set a goal for more than a year out. Um, it's so far out there that I ignore it for too long. But when I set it for a year and then work backwards down, you know, to the quarter, to the month, to the week, and then to the day, um, for me as an entrepreneur visionary, it doesn't seem too far out there and it holds me accountable to the progress of that thing. Awesome. And my next question is going to be, what would your advice be to someone who is aspiring to start their own thing? Um, my, my advice would be, I've got two pieces of advice. Um, number one, never forget who your boss is in any business that you start. It doesn't matter what the business is. 
your boss is always the customer. We exist to serve our customers because without a customer, our business doesn't exist. And I think oftentimes we, we convince ourselves that that isn't true, right? Especially once you get a little bit of success, it's easy to begin putting things in place that become hindrances um, to your customers, to your clients in terms of them doing business with you. So number one, never forget who the boss is. <laughs> number two, I would say, that good advice applied at the wrong time is bad advice. Good advice applied at the wrong time is bad advice. And so I would say be very careful when you read articles, you know, in any of these big publications, Inc., Fast Company, you name it, about these entrepreneurs and their journeys um, and the things that they're doing. Because they're more than likely, their business is at a completely different stage then your business will be at, right? And if we try to take what's working well for them at the stage they're in, and we try to apply that to the stage that we're in, um, it may be great advice, but it's the wrong time for us. And it can create confusion. It can create complexity. Um, and complexity is the enemy of growth. Complexity is always the enemy of growth. And so we have to just be very careful that we're not taking what sounds like good advice, and it probably is good advice, and applying it at the wrong time. That's that that is great advice, right? Kiss, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> That's it. Right. <laughs> um, lastly, where can everyone find you? Sure. The easiest place, John, is on our website. That's uglymugmarketing.com. Um, from there, we've got email addresses, phone numbers, links to social media, all that good stuff is right there on the website. Fantastic. Wayne, thank you very much for being on this episode. It was really valuable and educational. Absolutely loved it. Some very great points there. Thank you so much, John. It's my privilege to be here. And thank you so much for doing what you do and uh, helping spread good messages out there to the entrepreneurial world. My pleasure, man. Uh, you know, we'll touch base again in the future. I'm sure uh, we'll uh, revisit everything. Sounds great, John. Um, Looking forward to it. Thanks again, man. So if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, you can subscribe on the link below. This is the John Papaloni Show. Thanks for watching.